And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise... You can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a live edition here of State of the Nation, ready to break down the 2022 NFL Draft. Was in Vegas, uh, and, and I mean, Vegas, gosh. Vic, Tashawn, you guys were there. Tell us. I mean, it, it just seemed like that was probably the perfect location for it. We know this draft is going to bounce around Kansas City next year. Um, you know, it was in Cleveland last year. It's going to, they're going to, they've made this like the Super Bowl where it's going to bounce around to different locations. But um, it, it seems like Vegas uh, was, was pretty much a perfect location for it. Watching it on TV, uh, it seemed like a great spot and um, wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't make its way back to Vegas pretty soon. Yeah, I think the strip is just the ideal setup for it with all the, the hotels and uh, restaurants and, and kind of having everything down there. Like, you don't really have a reason to leave the strip if, if you are going to the draft, you know, if you get hungry or something like that. So it's all pretty convenient. And obviously, there's always, you know, a ton of tourists in Vegas anyway. So it's really never going to be a draft uh, where you have to worry about how many people are there. I think they ended up having like 300,000. I think they thought they were going to get like 600,000, but it's just still a pretty good turnout, especially considering like this wasn't the most exciting like draft class in the world. And so, uh, you know, they've been planning it for like five years since, you know, initially it got, got postponed in 2020 because of the pandemic. So they had plenty of time to get ready for it. And I feel like they, they knocked it out the park. Yeah, as the, as the kids say, I think it was lit. It was definitely, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a good scene. I think there would have been much more kind of crazy if the Raiders had a first round pick. I think that would have been a much bigger kind of uh, you know, crowd reactions, kind of the cooler thing. But obviously it didn't happen. But uh, I think it was a great venue. I think they did a nice job in terms of preparing it. And I think the you know, the prospects and the fans had a good time. So I'm sure I'll be back there soon enough. I mean, and if you want to talk about justifying the, the trade, uh, the reason why they didn't have a first-round pick training for Devontae Adams. I, I don't think any of us were sitting here needing justification for it, but when you look at where the Raiders were sitting at at 22, or the that pick goes to the Packers, and all this talk about, oh, the Packers, they've gone 20 years without drafting a, a wide receiver in the first round. Are they going to snap that streak? They didn't, and, and the general consensus being, well, the way the receivers went earlier – you know, there wasn't a guy of great value at 22. Um, you know, I know, Vic, you had talked a lot um, yeah, as we were you know, looking into this offseason. OK, the Raiders do need to find a number one receiver that the, the route for them would be just to sit there and grab one in the in the draft. Um, it, that, that would have been harder said than done. It, it doesn't look like 22 was ended up being kind of the, the ideal spot. Um, you wouldn't have gotten one of the top tackles and you wouldn't have gotten one of the top receivers. Um 
so to me, I mean, the way the draft went kind of further just just accentuated how good of a deal it was, how how smart of a move it was to trade and go get Devontae Adams. I agree with you. I think the one thing I'd say was I think it was a really deep class of receivers. So like, look at the Packers. Packers took the best player available in the first round and took a receiver in the second round. I think it's pretty good. So I definitely think it was a good trade based on getting you know, the best receiver in the game and you give up two picks when really probably wouldn't be a lot of immediate value. But uh, definitely was, I think there's some good guys we had in that first round besides receivers. But um, I agree with you based on just in general, if you needed a receiver, you weren't going to get an impact guy probably at, at 22. Yeah, plus the other thing, like, is even if there was, like, a, you know, pretty good receiver prospect there at, at 22, the chances of them, you know, coming in and having the impact of uh, Devontae Adams, you know, at any point of their career, let alone, you know, this first year, next year, um, they're pretty low. And since the Raiders obviously went in a win-now mode um, this offseason, that, that may not have uh, aligned with their path. So, yeah, both on, on the sense of I, I think it was the right move regardless of how the draft board fell, but especially with how it did. Um, you know, they, they seem pretty justified in, in trading away those picks. You know, and you see what's obviously happening right now with this receiver class, the, the, the class that was drafted three years ago. Um, you know, a lot of times it kind of takes until that third year. You look at a guy like Debo Samuel with the 49ers. He was pretty good, obviously, his first year. His second year was, you know, a little bit injury play. His third year, he breaks out. And it's like, as soon as he has his breakout season, it's like, all right, now you need to open up the bank and, and give him that big extension. That is kind of the tough thing with the, the rookie wage gauge scale is that a lot of times that third year is kind of the, the year where everything starts coming together for a player. And then it's like you, you don't have the – you a lot of times don't have the opportunity of like, okay, well, let's see him do it for a fourth year and then we'll extend him because these guys want to get paid once they're eligible for that extension after three seasons. So um, – yeah, rather than you know, so it's it's not like it, it's become a little bit challenging. Where I mean, obviously you're happy to get that great production for three years out of these guys, and then if if they are you know worthy of that payday, you pay them. But um, I mean, I think with Devonte Adams, they they know what they're getting with him. They obviously know what his rapport is going to be like with Derek Carr, um, and so um, hey, it, it can't argue with that. But um, yeah, the, I mean, the, the wide receiver. Uh, market has just gone so crazy this offseason, and uh, we'll see what this uh, receiver class is like and what it's like in a few years when they want to get paid. And another thing I think that um, the Raiders had to consider when paying Devontae Adams is his longevity. I, I think, you know, with the Tyreek Hill trade and what's going on with Debo Samuel right now, it might be, you know, partly because of the longevity with those smaller receivers that, um, you know, depend a lot on explosion, that takes a lot of hits because, you know, they, they need to get that those yards after catch and take those short passes. Uh, I think the Raiders believe that Adams could be good for, you know, for a long time because of the way he plays uh, his releases, the way he gets downfield. And he, you know, he doesn't have to be a guy that catches a ton of short passes and t- take a ton of hits. And I just think his game um, is just conducive to playing for a longer time. Yeah, plus the other part is the Raiders have their own, you know, young receiver that they're, they're probably going to have to pay a, a nice chunk here soon with Hunter Renfro going into um, you know, the, the last deal, year of his uh, rookie deal. So, um, you know, he's not going to get, you know, A.J. Brown money or anything like that. But, I mean, if Christian Kirk is getting the contract he got, you figured the price for Renfro went up this offseason just by nature of, of what happened with the market. So, you know, whether they get a done a deal done this offseason or, or next year, um, you know, that's kind of lining up with them having to get into this wide receiver market as well. All right, before we get to your questions, we'll just run down really quickly. Uh, the draft picks the Raiders did make, they didn't obviously go on the clock until the third round. Uh, that's where they got Dylan Parham, a guard slash center. Um, 
played, you know, played really kind of everywhere on the offensive line, except for center in, in college, but center based on his size and, and kind of, um, you know, not being a, that big of a guy. That's, that's where his projection is that he could be an eventual center. So we'll see if he is able to battle Andre James, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily this year, but um, a guy that brings him depth on the interior line. Then Zamir White um, running back in the fourth round. That, that's an interesting pick coming a day after they did not pick up the fifth year option for Josh Jacobs. Uh, Neil Farrell Jr., a defensive tackle. Matthew Butler, another defensive tackle. Those were rounds four and five going back to back with D tackles. Um, added another offensive lineman in the seventh round, Thayer Munford. And then another running back, Britton Brown, in the seventh round. So two offensive linemen, two running backs, two defensive tackles, uh, really only added players at three different position groups. But, um, you know, with, with, when you don't have a first and second round pick, you, you had to kind of approach it as let's just see what interesting players we can bring in and, and give us some depth. And, um, you know, I think Zamir White is the guy that you kind of look at as well, uh, you know, with with Jacobs and with Kenyon Drake being on the last years of their contract and not picking up the fifth year option on, on Jacobs. Here's a guy that, that could get a little bit of experience this year and, and build himself toward having a big role in 2023. Yeah. I was pretty surprised by the, the white pick um, just in the moment, just cause I, I didn't, it wasn't like unfathomable that they might draft a running back, but their, their first pick of day three, I, I just, you know, there's some players on the board at, at offensive tackle and cornerback and even safety that, uh, you know, kind of made more sense when it came to guys who could have a, a bigger immediate impact potentially. But, um, you know, in concert with the, you know, them deciding to decline Jacob's option and, um, you know, really the only running back on the roster um, before they drafted White was that had, you know, a contract going in the next season was Brandon Bolden. And obviously he's not going to be a, a lead back, anything of that nature. And so uh, since they're not really committed to anybody, you know, past this season, it, it makes sense to, you know, bring in a guy that obviously I think has has starting potential in the league. Um, you know, he's he's had some some rough knee injuries in the past in high school and college, and um, so I think even if he does take the starting role next year, they're they're probably still going with a more of a running back by committee approach, um, like we saw in New England. And so, it seems like Josh McDaniels is bringing bringing that with him to Las Vegas. All right, let's head it over to the audience. We're going to bring Jeremy P onto the stage. Jeremy, how you doing? You guys are totally stealing my thunder because I was going to uh, ask about running backs and, and you guys are, are covering that quite well just here in the last two minutes. Um, I guess my question is, um, it's pretty clear. I, don't, I wouldn't think Josh Jacobs is feeling the love from this uh, new administration. What are the odds that he could possibly hold out uh, before this season? Uh, At this point, I don't think it makes a lot, of, a lot of sense to hold out. I think his best bet now is to have a good year. And then hit the free agent market next year and get paid. I think uh, I don't know why holding out because they're not really going to cave in to you know, paying him money now because they have a plan uh, after he's gone. So I, I think his best bet is to play, play well, and let the chips fall with it when they may. Yeah, and he doesn't have a ton of leverage. Uh, even though he hasn't missed all that many games throughout his career, he's he's almost always been playing through injury or missing practices or banged up at some point. And uh, his efficiency is, is kind of steadily falling. Uh, since his rookie year, obviously a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, poor play from the offensive line the last two years. But, uh, you know, it's not like he's coming off a crazy good year and um, hasn't been injured and showed he could be healthy. And now they were, they were trying to move on from him. So, yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't like his chances too much if he was trying to, you know, leverage his way into getting a new deal. 
do you guys see White getting uh, a lot of playing time in his rookie season? I don't. Uh, I still think Jacobs is going to be a starting back, and uh, you know they're paying Kenyon Drake eight million dollars this year, so <laughs> I feel like they're going to use him uh, pretty significantly as well. And Brandon Bolden, you know, he's a Patriots guy. He has a trust. He knows the system. Um, he's probably going to be a third down back, and so I think Zamir's going to mostly be a rotational back um, this year uh, and kind of learn the system and take his time. I'd be you know, barring injury, I mean, which has happened. You know, Jacobs has been beat up in his career, and Kane Drake is coming off a, of a broken ankle last year, so it's not unfathomable that, you know, injuries may thrust him into action earlier than expected, but I don't think that'll be the, the plan going into the season. I do think yeah, and it's a little similar to Jacobs in terms of the jump cuts, but I think if Jacobs does get hurt again, you have a guy who can fill in and kind of play that same kind of role. But I agree that learn the system, keep your legs fresh for next year. And kind of just uh, abide your time. Yeah, uh, White has a lot of uh, work to do as far as being a pass protector as well. He, he has a size to do it, but he needs to work on his technique, and um, it's going to be a lot of refinement that needs to go in that area. So just kind of taking a redshirt year and, and getting better at pass blocking, learning the offense, uh, I think it's going to be best for him. And and this, um, like these guys mentioned, that the running back staple is pretty stacked, so it's tough to imagine getting a lot of playing time. Yeah, and just back onto the yeah, holdout thing. I mean, yeah, you you hold you hold out when like a team absolutely needs you, and and you're going to be able to create leverage by not being there. Whereas in the Raiders, I think have enough backs that if you hold out, they said, all right, we'll find you, we'll do what you know. They, it it doesn't really hurt them that much. Obviously, they they're a better team with him, but I mean, the guy that you know. I could see, I could understand if he were to hold out would be Darren Waller. But Vic, you talked to him, uh, what, on Wednesday or Thursday and um, gave no indication that that's, that's anything he plans to do. He, he's gonna, he's there at the offseason program. He's ready to go. He's, he's not all that concerned about the fact that he's underpaid right now. And he kind of seems to be trusting the fact that he'll get paid when he deserves to get paid. Yeah, his, his MO is have a big year and wear with the contract later, I think um, he's very confident, obviously very secure and kind of comfortable in the system. So I think there's no no fear of him holding out or, or making a ruckus. All right, we're going to move on to Tim O. Tim O, how are you doing? A lot of people had Thayer Munford projected at guard, but he played left tackle at Ohio State. He's 6'6". He's got those long arms. You think the Raiders might try him out at uh, right tackle or maybe swing tackle to start off his career? According to the Raiders, every offensive lineman is going to play every position on the offensive line. So, <laughs> uh, yes. But, no, I think um, a lot of the, you know, projections from him being a guard, you know, he did spend his last year there um, at Ohio State at le- playing left guard and, and played pretty well. And, um, you know, just athletic – due to his, you know, athletic traits, there's some concerns about – you know, whether he's able to hold up on the edge at tackle at the next level. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it would be, you know, given that he played guard last year and he mostly played left tackle, like switching to the right side is, you know, the easiest thing in the world. So um, I think it would take him, you know, especially as a seven-round pick, if he even makes the roster. But I think it would take some time before he's, you know, in that mix at the right tackle spot. I'll add that while Zuba's been very vague about the other guys, he definitely referred to this guy as a tackle several times yesterday. So I think in their mind, he's clearly a tackle. All right, let's go over to Fergus S. Fergus, how you doing? I like a lot of the 
draft this year. You know, I think um, it's made sense and it looks like we're building for the future, which is obviously what good regimes do. But I just worry about the secondary uh, and specifically safety. I just think Harmon and Abram, I, I, I don't I don't think much of either, really. I think I know the money, we haven't got much money left, but is, is there anyone out there, you know, vet wise that you think we could have a look at, you know, to fill that spot? Because it just worries me. Yeah, they won't really have because they have to obviously set aside money uh, to to sign these draft picks here soon. But they won't have significant cap space until June second. Um, they get get about twenty million dollars when um, the contracts for Corey Littleton and Carl Nassib come off the books, and so that's a pretty nice chunk of cap space, and is enough to make you know a significant signing or two. Um, there's always a chance they could use some of that money to maybe you know give out extensions to some guys already on the roster, but. Um, you know, the biggest answer at safe or the biggest, you know, name at safety is, is Tyron Matthew or, or Shil Kapadia. He still has a, a free agency tracker. And I think that's the only safety that's still on his, on his list of any significance. And so, um, I, I think that's the only guy that comes to mind out there that would be like a big enough upgrade, um, even over like Deron Harmon to be worth, you know, going out and spending a bunch of money on. Yeah. I was going to say, Honey Badgers and Saints, I think it's going to happen. So, but uh, I think, uh, I think Harmon's, uh, and Abram, you never know how he fits into the new system, but I think Harmon's kind of the guy to watch there, and they like him. They know him very well from his days in, in New England, so um, that's my guess right now. But I think that's what they're going with is those two guys because like, they didn't take one in the draft, and like Deshaun said, I'm not sure there's much out there anymore in the, in the free agent market. Thanks, guys. I mean, it doesn't fill me with loads of hope, but uh, you know, I guess that's the that's the price we pay for watching the Raiders. Cheers. All right, thanks. I mean, this is where Patrick Graham has got to kind of earn his money, right, is – um, you know, you got to kind of come up with that scheme that can make up for some of the, your deficiencies. And um, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, that's something he's going to have to do and see if they can make it work, um, you know, with Harmon and, you know, a- a- Abram. Uh, I, I, we, none of us see a, a big year four growth out of him where suddenly he's a guy that's going to be good in coverage, but um, you know, you just kind of hope that he can make a few pop plays here and there. Yeah, and there's Ty, uh, Tyree Gillespie, who um, the Raiders drafted last year that didn't really get a chance to play. Um, a lot of people liked him as, you know, a matchup athletic safety. So, um, you know, maybe there's a chance that um, the the former regime liked him while scouting last year. And, you know, they, they hope that he can compete for a spot this year, too. All right. Benjamin H. We're going to bring Benjamin H. on here. Hey, guys. Um, could I sneak in two questions? Sure. Go for it. Okay. Um, the first one is, uh, Vic, in your most recent article, you said something interesting and kind of funny. You said that Mayock and Gruden started to get on each other's nerves. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. I just think, I think Mike was in a, a tough spot because I think obviously you got a lot of blame for the draft picks, but he doesn't really have final say. And Gruden has final say in all personnel moves. So I think, I think there were some guys that Mike took that Gruden said, whatever, that's fine. I think those guys, if a guy didn't work out, say, like, I don't want to mention any names, but I think there was some kind of uh, some shit talking back and forth a little bit if, if a guy didn't work out. So I just think that. Uh, you, th- you, point, you, you can't just say Cleveland Furl? You can't just say that name? Like, like, like nobody knows that Cleveland Furl is, is a, the guy I, that didn't work I, out? I, I just talked to Cleveland. I'm trying to give Cleveland a, a clean slate, man. I like Cleveland. But uh, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I think there's blame that goes back and forth with, with moves. I just think that after. Is it three years? Or two years, actually. I kind of just kind of uh, sort of run its course. I think that obviously, um, I think they got along fine in the beginning. I mean, they, you know, John hired them, but I just think it's it's a rough kind of structure to have going here for a long time as far as the coach being the guy who makes the final call on all personnel moves. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then my second question is, uh, and I apologize if this is kind of a downer question, but um, I, I still think about Henry Ruggs a lot. It just makes me so sad. And I was wondering if you guys had considered, like, Jimmy, do you think he would grant any of you an interview? I think it'd be interesting to know, you know, what he's doing with his days and what his life is like now. Do you think he would talk to you or do you think he's under strict orders from his lawyers not to say a word to anybody? Yeah, yeah there's that I'm kind of guessing, legal situation going yeah. on there. He's not doing any interviews. I think you know, maybe slim, small chance after the legal situation's done. And I mean, presumably he's in jail. You know, he, he, yeah, that, that, that seems like to me like one of those where, you know, maybe 10, 15 years down the road, you see him do a TV interview or, um, but yeah, he, any, anybody who's in a current, in an active legal situation, um, they're, they're going to be focused on that. And, uh, there, there's no way there's, there's no lawyer that, uh, that's worth hiring that would let, um, somebody in that situation talk to the media. Could be worth a shot. Just saying, but, um, okay. Well, anyway, thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thanks, Benjamin. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If anybody else wants to jump in, uh, we know it's a, a Sunday, probably watching some NBA playoffs. But uh, uh, who, who was your guys' favorite pick? Um, I know, Vic, you know, we ran the, the story. Everybody uh, got to pick, make, you know, across the, all the – everybody that covers all the teams across the athletic made their pick, and, and you went with White. Um, it, who was everybody else's favorite pick? What did you guys like the, the most out of this draft class? Um, I went with, with Dylan Parham, I think um... – you know, even though this offensive line is a tricky position because if you don't start or injury doesn't happen, you know, it's kind of hard for you to make like a noticeable impact, you know. Um, but I think, you know, if he's able to be, you know, even a dependable um, interior backup offensive lineman this year, whether it's a center or guard, um, just just given all the, the bad luck they've had with injuries on the offensive line the last couple of years, not trying to speak that into existence, but, uh, you know, his team is – you know, when that happens, they've been really ill-prepared um, or and, and been lacking people that can actually step in and, and feasibly start and play at a decent level. Um, and, you know, with it being a 17-game season and this, being a team with playoff aspirations, having that kind of depth um, at the end, on the offensive line, especially somebody who can have multiple spots, um, is really important. And, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, if he comes in and has a crazy, you know, OTA and training camp, maybe he does end up winning a, a starting job. But, whether he does or not, you know, he's clearly somebody that has starting upside in the year to come. And, uh, you know, considering, you know, I view the offensive line as their biggest need all offseason, um, you know, it just seemed like a good pick overall. Yeah, I like Parham a lot. You know, I think um, I don't know if he's going to be a starter, but I, I definitely think that adding him into the room and letting him compete for a spot is a good idea. I, I know that they gave um, 
one of I always blank on his name. The uh, the center right now, uh, Andre James. Yeah, Andre James extension last year, but um, you know I, I don't think this regime is um, loyal to him and is just automatically going to assume that he's a starter, especially. Um, you know, watching his film last year, he he did make some improvements, but it's I don't think he played well enough to just solidify himself as the center of the future, especially for um, a new coaching staff. So I, I think Parham could go in, and I think he has a legit chance of um, you know competing for that that starting spot. I think he's a he fills in the checks a lot of boxes that the Patriots like from their offensive linemen. Uh, he, he's really smart. You can see his eyes always in the right place. Um, he's great coming off combo blocks, has a really big lower body. He doesn't, you know, has a good anchor. He didn't give up a sack in 2021. Um, so yeah, I think he has the makings of a, a really good center and could add more physicality to the off the blind than James showed that he, he's been able to. Yeah. And with James, I mean, even after this season, after this season, you could have a dead cap hit of less than 2 million if you wanted to cut him. So, I mean, they, you know, they, yes, they gave Andre James an extension, earlier than I think we all thought they really needed to, but it, it wasn't like they gave him a long-term extension. They did restructure it. So there is some money pushed out, but, uh, but still, I mean, the dead cap hit uh, at, if cut after this season um, would, would not be, uh, would not be exorbitant. It'd be, I mean, even right now, if they cut him, it'd be 3.4 million of a dead cap hit, which you, know, you probably wouldn't do, but, um, but 1.9 after this year is not, is not bad at all. Um, so in the funny thing about Parham is that, and I think it's kind of a good thing in his benefit is like he's he's the first guy that the Raiders draft in this draft class. So it's like you you talk about him as like, oh, he was their top pick. But I mean, the beauty of it is he was a third rounder. He's if if they had had those first two rounds, if they had had picks there and he was the third guy they had taken. Um, and, you know, he was a guy that was just providing them depth this first year. That, that's kind of what you'd be fine with. That's what you'd expect. Um, you wouldn't have expectations of him coming and being a starter. He, he, his, like, his, his name is magnified a little bit because he was the first guy that the Raiders picked. But, um, you know, there's not a lot of pressure on him that he has to come in and be an impact player year one, like last year with, with Leatherwood, obviously. I mean, when you draft that guy as your starting right tackle, you know, in, in the first round, that guy does have to come in and be your starting right tackle. And, and we know how that worked out and um, we'll see how that, and we'll see how he worked out going forward. And you know, we'll see if he ends up even being a starter year too. Um, but I, I mentioned the new regime doesn't seem like they're going to be all that tied to, to anything that the previous regime did. Yeah. And in general, I mean, like, um, you know, they don't seem to let their emotions get too tied into it, even with guys that they brought in. I mean, uh, it, it seems like they they already signed like four off, uh, def- defensive tackles this off season, and, and they go and and draft two more of them uh, on on day three, and so now we have like eight defensive tackles on the roster. Obviously, they all all aren't going to make the cut, but uh, you know it's it's kind of cerebral approach. Like they want competition every competition everywhere. You know that we're willing to make upgrades everywhere, uh, regardless of if it's somebody that they drafted or signed or not. And so you know I, I guess that was you know critique some people had at a previous staff. They they're emotions get in the way or get tied to players, whether that was drafting guys high or holding on to guys that weren't producing at a high level. So uh, it seems like that's, that's changed now. All right. We're going to bring Eric G onto the stage now. How's it going, Eric? Hey guys, thanks so much for all of your coverage and thanks uh, for uh, uh, being our source to the inside of all things silver and black. My question is this, um, after so many years or the last few years of major distractions, shocking developments, tragic, uh, upsetting things that have happened, 
you know, uh, I'm very much looking forward to going into a season where we're focused on football, where we can really enjoy the players on the field. And, uh, you know, whether it was Khalil Mack or A.B. or Gruden or Henry Ruggs, what do you see, you know, as the potential to distract from the on-field this year? I'm worried, of course, about Jacobs, about Waller, but do you guys see anything looming like that, or do you think we're we're past that and we're going to have a season where we can enjoy Raider football on the field? You, you want, want us to pre- you want us to predict what bad's gonna happen? <laughs> <laughs> you want us to jinx it? You say you want a calm, nice season. But by the way, what would have to happen for to screw the whole thing up? Um, I, I have no idea. I, I like I, like you said. I think they're hoping for a nice, calm season. I think they have the offensive pieces in place to be a really good offense. Um, so uh, you never know how, like, like we've talked about a little bit, how the new regime, what they view certain players from the last regime, how that works out as far as, you know, but I don't see any huge uh, dramatic, you know, things happening. Hopefully not on wood, but I think they're um, you know, all, all systems pointing forward and, and we'll see how it goes. I don't think Hunter Renfro is going to quit in the middle of a game, take off his pads and start doing jumping jacks. So, you know, I, I think the, the Raiders are good. But, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, when you have a bunch of close wins in one season, you you know, you return to the, the mean in, in the next season. Hopefully that for the Raiders, you know, all the drama happened last season. They start returning to the mean the next season and they could just get through it drama free. You know, Eric might be on to something. None of us foresaw any of all that drama that happened last season coming. So, Eric is giving us the, the permission to speak bad stuff into existence. So then that way it'll be a reverse jinx and then it'll be a smooth comp season. That, that's what you're going for, right, Eric? <laughs> exactly. No, what I'm really hoping <laughs> is that you guys tell me that Josh Jacobs is not going to be a problem, that Hunter Renfro is going to get his extension post June 1, that uh, extending Carr has put us in an excellent place, and that uh, Darren Waller is a trooper and he uh, will be cool with getting underpaid for a year. That's what I'm really hoping you'll tell me. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, Carlson, Cole, and Sig don't get in a street fight and get hurt, and all of a sudden, that <laughs> kind of is wiped out. So let's hope that they can avoid the streets uh, for the off- during the offseason. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Eric. All right. Stephen L. Curious, you hear about the guys like Rodgers and Brady and some of those, you know, veteran elite quarterbacks that you hear about them have an influence um, on the roster and the type of offense that they run. How much do you think or know that um, the influence Carr will have on some of the personnel moves they might lean towards or the offensive scheme? I know McDaniels obviously is the, the guru, but how much influence do you think Carr has at this point in his career on what the Raiders are going to be doing? Yeah, that was huge. I mean, I think his relationship with, with Adams was a big reason why Adams is here. So I think uh, beyond that, though, I'm sure McDaniels will involve him in, like, the offense. They're going to play the strengths and stuff. But I just think as hard as the personnel the rest of the way, it's kind of like he has the pieces in place now. He obviously has a great connection with uh, with Renfro and, and Waller and now Adams. So he should be poised for, you know, for a big year. And I think if that goes well, then maybe you get more clout and more same personnel once this new regime gets to know you a little better and they have success. But right now, I think it's just like, come in, play well, and, and we'll see where it goes. And hopefully he has some say with how, how team-friendly he was with that extension. I think he you know, got himself some, some room for a little bit of authority in the offense, hopefully. Awesome. And uh, do you know with Gruden and uh, 
uh, Greg Olson, did he have much input that you know of, or is it mostly Gruden steering the ship on that? And car, I mean, obviously Carr's numbers went up and he did good, but do you know how much influence he had on the, you know, the scheme that they ran under those guys? I think he had some. I think obviously they had a plan for him. They they made a, made a point to make him more active in terms of getting out of the pocket, making plays with his feet a little bit, and taking more chances downfield. So I think you saw his growth with those two guys last week. Um, thing about Derek Carr, I think, is he's definitely a guy who he lives to just do whatever. They, he comes in, you know, early in the morning, he works all day, he takes it home at night. So he's in constant contact with these, with, with these coaches. So I think I'm sure McDaniels has already found that out, that this guy's going to be fun to work with. And he's got all the raw skills you want in the quarterback and the smarts. And So there's no reason why you can't have success. And I think based on that success, then you have more input. So I think um, that was the case with, with Gruden and, and Olsen. I think that was the case with McDaniels. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks, Steven. We're going to head over to Mike J. How's it going? Can you hear me? There, hey, there you go. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Now I was on mute. Uh, with that money coming up in June, I mean, obviously they picked up, you know, some linemen through the draft and whatnot. But what about something like Daryl Williams? I mean, you, I know you guys mentioned Matthews is possibly going to the Saints or whatnot. But, I mean, they definitely still need help on that back end. I really like Abrams, but, you know, he's a liability in coverage. So spending that money after June 2nd, do you think something like Daryl Williams from the Bills could help shore up that right side? And if not, I mean, adding something else to the back end as far as safety goes. I still think they might be in the <laughs> process. Like, I'm sure they're leading process, process, you know, a certain way or another. But, but, uh, but after they go through OTAs uh, and really get to go through on-field work and uh, get some team drills in there, I think they'll have a better sense of, you know, do they feel like they have an answer, um, in-house answer at right tackle to start, or do they need to go get a, another starting caliber safety? Uh, you know, I'm not sure they've completely made up their mind uh, when it comes to those two positions in particular. I, I can see them adding a uh, a tackle later on. Um, you know, I still think Marcus Cannon, who McDaniel's coached in New England, is is worth a shot. But I can see them adding a veteran tackle. But as far as the defensive back, I just don't see any real impact players. Um, maybe guys that could add some depth, but it's almost you know other than the Honey Badger, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of impact players left in in that position. Tim O, what's going on? With the Raiders drafting two running backs, um, do you think there's a greater chance uh, Kenyon Drake is fighting for a roster spot? He seems to bring like the similar skill set as Bolden, who is coming from McDaniel's system, maybe has a leg up, and Drake was just really bad uh, pass blocking last year. So, uh, what do you what do you think about that? Or is his salary cap hit just so big? If they cut him, um, that eight eight million, eight million in a dead cap hit. If they cut him, yeah, yeah. If they were to cut him later on, it would also like push dead money into next year. Um, so I don't, I don't think, I just think it's contract the way his contract is structured. Even if they aren't super high on him, which I don't, I don't know if they are or not, or are or aren't, but uh, it's just not really feasible to to cut him. Plus, they restructured the deal this offseason, so I don't, I don't think they would have done that if they had some plans to try to move on. All right, thanks, Tim. We're gonna go, uh, David D. If, if, uh, let's see, we'll give him another chance. David D. What's going on? All right, so I got two quick questions. The first one is, 
does this regime believe in Mullins? Um, because it seems like we once we got uh, Rakis in, I mean, it sounds like we were in on uh, Gilmore, but obviously they didn't go too hard for him. So do you think that they believe in our uh, DBs already? And then how do you think the uh, running back workload is going to play out? I think yeah. with Mullen, there's some injury concern there. And I just think, you know, anytime you have the chance to add a corner um, with the pedigree that Stefan Gilmore has, you know, you're going to try to add it. But I don't, I don't think that's quite an indictment on, on Mullen. But I, I do think that there are some concerns with um, his durability and if he could, if he could hold up for an entire season. Yeah, especially coming off of last year, I think he only played with four or five games and, um, you know, I mean, they got to a point in the year where they were rotating Brandon Faison and Desmond Trufant in and out of games, and they, they definitely didn't want to end up in a situation um, like that again. But, uh, you know, between, you know, Mullen, Anthony Everett, um, and Rocky Sin, you know, I would say they probably have three starting caliber outside corners. And obviously Nate Hobbs is, was thrived last year as a starting nickelback. He can also play um, some outside corner as well if need be. Uh, you know, but I think, you know, part of maybe the and part of the reason why I thought they might draft a, a cornerback is, um, you know, with Patrick Graham using as many, you know, defensive back heavy sets as he does. You know, he's, he's a big nickel guy, but also dime guy and uh, maybe even some, you know, seven defensive back packages at, at certain times. And so, uh, you know, with, with as many defensive backs as he likes having on the field um, and, and wanting to keep them fresh, I mean, it makes sense to continue to add at that position. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, they don't view the, the guys that they have there already favorably. Um, and when it comes to, to the running back um, room, like I, I really do expect for it to be a, a running back by committee approach. I mean, uh, it seems like they're probably going to carry four running backs on the roster now, and it, it wouldn't really make sense to do that if, if you're just going to you know feed Josh Jacobs every time like they've done at times in, in his first three years. And so um, I think it's going to be more more evenly split maybe than we see in the recent years. And, um, you know, that may end up help, helping, you know, Jacobs get back to that efficiency that he had in his rookie year and, and avoid some of those injuries. So kind of like who has the hot hand in the, in the backfield, basically? Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily see like them switching like who the starter is from week to week, uh, necessarily like barring injury. But, um, you know, I think they're going to rotate those guys and keep them all pretty fresh. That's kind of the whole, especially, you know, with them spending a draft pick that they did on Zamir White, it just wouldn't. The resources that they allocated to that position, type of money they're playing, some of the guys, and how many backs they're going to have, um, it, it would make sense uh, for them to do all that without, you know, kind of taking that approach, in my opinion. Vic, I've gotten the feeling, the impression over the years from reading your coverage, first at the Chronicle and then at the Athletic, I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, but I've gotten the impression that Lane Kiffin was a major asshole. And I was wondering if you could tell us your favorite Lane Kiffin story from, you know, your favorite story from the Lane Kiffin era. Yeah, actually, I'll be honest, that was kind of before my time. So I knew, uh, I've heard stories about him, but I wasn't ever there firsthand. But, uh, yeah, I think what you heard, the image, I believe it is true. I think he is kind of uh, a guy who's very full of himself and maybe people don't really uh, root for him to do well around the league. But, uh Definitely, he has some, he has some, you know, some intelligence. Definitely, has a good offensive mind. So, but that was before my time. I came. My first year on the beat was uh, Tom Cable's uh, year as head coach. So I don't have any firsthand uh, Lane Kiffin dirt to uh, to spill. Oh, that reminds me. Has Tom Cable found a job? I don't believe so. I believe he's going to take the year off, probably do some hunting, and I'm sure he'll he'll bounce back. He'll resurface next year. But a lot of the guys in the staff. Uh, you know, I kind of want to say screwed, but they kind of got screwed by the way it was handled. It kind of, uh, by the time they were officially let go, 
a lot of the jobs were filled. So I think you look at um, that wasn't a, a great way for things to work out. But that's that's life. I think yeah, sometimes you can't control what happens. But like uh, like Ole was lucky enough to hook out with the Rams, but a lot of guys didn't get to, on his last staff didn't, didn't do very well. Huh. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. Well, um, this wasn't the, the most exciting draft class uh, in, in the world. Um, you know, so it, 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 that's kind of what happens when you don't have first-round picks uh, versus second-round picks. But... Two O-linemen, two D-tackles. That's some good stuff, man. It's exciting. Exactly. Exactly. But, hey, you know, Devontae Adams is going to be fun. Um, the Raiders are going to start getting on the field soon, right? Yeah, in a couple of weeks, right? Like we have access in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I think they start May 23rd. I don't know if they're going to let us in on the first day. Probably not. Um, but at some point in late May, early June, we'll be able to see who uh, where offensive linemen are lined up. That's the, that's the biggest intrigue going into OTAs. We have no idea. They are all just offensive linemen. They were all play everywhere. Colton Miller is going to get some snaps at center. And yeah. uh, there you go. Uh, all right, guys, we'll wrap it up right here. Enjoy the rest of our Sunday. And uh, you know, we'll see see how this draft class turns out. But, um, you know, the, obviously the big move was made when they got Devontae Adams. And uh, and they got to sit back and enjoy uh, enjoy the draft. And uh, you know, I'm sure it was fun out there in Vegas. And uh, we'll talk to you guys like. All again sometime in the next few weeks as the Raiders get going with that off-season program. All right. Adios. Peace. Later, guys. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.